Good morning. Welcome to Warren Community Fellowship. So glad you're here this morning. Well, there's lots of there's lots of things that each one of us are thankful for to God. He's blessed us immensely, and so I invite you to stand this morning and let's thank God through this first song for all that He's done for us. One, two, three. Because you heal my heart, you change my 
great people standing around you. Greet them this morning. Say good morning, and then you may be seated. Good morning. Well, if you all could find your seats, that'd be great. We got a number of things that we want to do this morning. And, and one of the things that we are blessed with is having church family and being able to support one another and love on each other um, and to be able to love on the community. We had a, we had a great uh, opportunity to do that yesterday with a celebration of life service for the Haymires. Yeah, and big thank you to all of the volunteers. I think we had 30 volunteers here. We had uh, about 360 people for this service, and the family was loved. And so good job to all. One of the other things that's part of family is knowing that your family grows up and then they move away, which is something that we're going to celebrate even now. I'm going to ask the Sullivans to come up, and I'm going to have the elders come up too. Because uh, we've been watching this Sullivan family grow, and uh, they've been part of our church family for a long time, and the Lord is calling them to go to Tennessee. Now, I've had a couple of discussions with God about this, and I lost. But that's okay, because what we want to do is we realize that the Lord gives us seasons of times an opportunity to invest in people and to disciple them and then... As God moves on their lives, he sends them out. And so what we want to do as a church family is we want to send them out missionally um, as they go to Tennessee and, and they engage in the next chapter of their life and whatever that looks like. And so we want to be able to pray for them and we also have gifts for them. So what we're going to do is I'm going to give this to you now. It's a little thank you card. And Wendy put these together and I know that that's probably for you. Right? Right? You're red? No, it does, because you'll have to ask Wendy. I don't know. Did you put names on them? I don't know. I don't know. Wendy put these together, because they have a long trip. I think it's uh, this next week that you guys are, are heading out with two 40-foot trailers, three kids, a dog, a boat, two cats. We need to pray for them. So let's just lay hands on it. We'll pray over him. Father, I thank you for the Sullivans. I thank you for the blessing that they've been to us as a church. Lord, the ability to watch them grow. As they go out, Lord, we pray blessings over their travel. We ask God that you would uh, just lead them for Josh to be able to provide for the family, for the kids to be able to have new friends. 
for Stacy as she takes care of the whole house and manages all of the lives of all of them. And Father, we know that uh, they, they have friends there that they'll connect with. Lord, we pray for a great church, great school, for, for a house. Father, I'm going to pray specific for a five-acre house that's got plenty of room and in-law quarters for the in-laws to show up. Father, we know that uh, you're going to do some great things, and we just thank you for the privilege of being part of their lives and for them to be part of ours. We thank you and we praise you for them in Jesus' name. Amen. You bet. Let's go ahead and let's pray as uh, the ushers come forward for this morning offering, and then we'll get into Bible study. God, I thank you. You are amazing and kind. Everything that you have given to us is a gift including eternal life. God, I thank you for the provisions for our days, for our weeks, for our months, for our lives, the houses that we have, the food we've enjoyed, the privilege of living here in these United States to be able to live freely and worship freely. Lord, not everybody in this world has that opportunity. May we embrace that opportunity. And embrace the freedoms that we have to share your love with as many people as possible. That they would come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Lord, as we uh, get ready to worship you, may you receive these offerings. May you receive the offering of praise. And Holy Spirit, may you work in our hearts that we would understand the rest that you have set for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Joyful, joyful, we adore the God of glory, love and love. Our son born, our thighs before you, walking to the Son of God. Now the vows of sin and sadness, drive the dark of doubt away. Giver of eternal gladness, fill us with the Jesus, you 
to lay our lives down at your feet, knowing that you are worthy of all of our praise forever and ever. We lay our lives down here at your feet to the one who's worthy. We give everything, oh, how you love us. How can it be no greater mercy?
your footstool to ascribe to you all the glory that is due to only your name. For you, God Almighty, are the only true God. And we worship you and we thank you for all that you've done, for how you gave us your everything. So in turn this morning, We lay our lives at your feet. And it's our desire that we be filled so with your spirit. So that each moment of every day, we would be your representatives. And that we would reflect who you are and what you've done for us. So thank you. Now as we turn our attention to your word. We thank you for teaching us, Holy Spirit, and for showing us in the way that we should go. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You may be seated. Amen. Well, if you would, open up your Bibles to Joshua chapter 11. There is a condition that happens in war, and I think it happens in life. It's called battle fatigue. Think about battle fatigue. Battle fatigue is the condition that happens when you get tired of the fight. When you get tired of the battle, and you just are like, "Ah, you know, I think I'm done. I think I got nothing left in me. In this life, we find ourselves often fatigued in this battle of life, spiritual battles, the things that are going on, and... We want rest. We want a time out. We want to get to the place where we just, I just want to be at rest. I'm tired of all of this. Have you ever been in that place? I'm done. <laughs> I'm cooked on both sides. Stick a fork in me. I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I don't want no more. It happens a lot in the counseling and the things that I do. I, I talk with people quite often where they're just wore out or... They've been in a battle for so long, they just want to check out. Take whatever it is, the condition that they find themselves in, and just live in that condition. That's very dangerous, because that is not the way that God has designed our life. As long as you're breathing, and as long as you're on this planet, you're going to be in a battle. You're going to be in a war. You're not going to find rest on this earth or rest in this earth. You're you're just not. Why? Because the world is against you. Satan is against you. Your flesh is against you. It's a constant battle that we are in. And our warfare is, is really not against flesh and blood, but against spirituality and 
principalities and the things of the air. So we've got to understand that this is a long battle as long as we're on this earth. But when we become battle fatigued, it leaves the door open for compromise. It leaves the door open for us for settling for second best or third best. If you knew what best looks like, if you knew what rest really looked like, where you could get to the place where you could just finally be at rest, would you fight for that rest? Fight for that peace? Thomas Kempis once said this, If thou seek rest in this life, how wilt thou then attain to everlasting rest? Dispose not yourself for such rest, but for great patience. Seek true peace, not in earth, but in heaven. Not in men, nor in any other creature, but in God alone. Peace and rest is only going to be found in God. And it is, it is finding that peace and rest in that place. That true rest and that true peace can't take place until the work is fully done. We say, well, Carrie, when is my work done? Well, your work is done when you graduate to be with the Lord. You say, well, that's a long time. Yeah, because it's a long battle. So you're not done until God says you're done. And when you're done, he says, okay, now you can rest and he calls you home to rest. Now, that's a different perspective than what a lot of people want, because what they want is they want their rest now. They want to be able to rest now, but if you rest, you open yourself up for fatigue and, and this constant state of battle. God has promised for every believer that has put their faith and trust in Christ, rest. And it's, get this, not rest from the work, but it's having rest in the work. It's not rest from the battle, but it's having rest in the battle. And you say, well, Carrie, I want that. How can I have rest in the battle? There's a lot of people that are just trying to get through life with the least amount of conflict as possible. We, we don't like conflict. So let's just get by with the least amount of conflict as possible and, you know, we'll just settle for good. But why do we want to settle for good when we can have great? When life is good enough, then we're settling for our definition of good. But that's not God's definition of good. And the person that settles for the good as defined by the world will never enter God's perfect rest. You just won't. It, it'll never be enough. You'll never be satisfied. And so God offers this rest to the believers. The danger is coming up short of entering into that rest. Well, you say, well, Carrie, what does that look like? Well, to understand that, you've got to understand and remember what Israel went through. God built a nation from one man named Abraham. Built that nation in slavery in Egypt. Seventy went in, 72, depending on what verse you use. Goes into Egypt, millions come out. And they are taken out of slavery, turmoil, suffering. And they walk through this wilderness because God said, I'm going to give to you a land, a seed, and a promise. I'm going to give you rest. 
You're no longer going to be in Egypt. You're going to be in this land. And I'm going to provide for you. Rest. That generation got to the edge waters and they went into the land, 12 spies. And do you remember the account? What did they find? Giants in the land. The Anakim. We're going to see them today. These giants are too big. It's too hard. It's not going to work. We don't. We don't think we can do this. God says, you can do this because I'm going to fight for you. And they said, no. We refuse to enter into rest because of unbelief. Can you imagine being at the threshold? Right at the threshold of receiving that promise. And because of fear and unbelief, you turn away. And that generation never entered into the rest that God had for them. They got right to the edge. But they turned away because of unbelief. God said, fine, that generation will die in the wilderness. I'm going to march around and bring up another generation. This is Joshua's generation. This is where we're at today in our text within this. It's a warning that is for us today. Even we read about it in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, let us fear. Fear what? If this condition takes place. While a promise remains of entering into rest, any of you may seem to have come short of it. Based on unbelief. There's a lot of people that are around in a Christian influence, but not saved. And because they're in the Christian influence, they're looking for that rest that you can only have in Christ, but they're not in Christ, so they're not experiencing that rest. So they're always in turmoil. And all they have to do is take that one step to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, to give Him life, and He'll give you that rest in the battle. But they come right to that threshold and then they turn, turn away, looking for rest in something else or someone else. The warning that we have in our text today to enter into that rest. The warning that we're going to see as Joshua will battle the northern coalition of tribes is this. In order to completely enter into that rest, you have to relentlessly attack the enemy. You cannot settle for what you have in, in your hand. You have to relentlessly attack the enemy. You have to completely obey the Word of God. And when it's all said and done, celebrate those victories. Celebrate those victories. Memorialize them so that you'll know. Joshua chapter 11 and Joshua chapter 12 is the conclusion of what is called Joshua's conquest or his battles within that. To take the land within this. Joshua has experienced the power of God. He has brought the nation across the Jordan River. If you remember, the water stopped. And he went in and he fought in Jericho. Walls came down because of an earthquake. Fought in Ai after getting, getting defeated the first time, but had to go back and fight again. Won that. Got tricked by the Hittites of, of Gibeon and got saddled with them. And then went after the five kings that were in the southern area as we covered last week. Now he's back at Gilgal at their base camp. And there's a whole northern section of the land of Israel left to be had. Now here's Joshua's dilemma. Do I have enough land that all the nation of Israel can go in and occupy the southern area? Yeah, I do. 
can we just not fight these northern kings and just settle with what we've got? Sure, I could. But is that what God's command was? What was God's command? Take all of the land. The rest was not done. And so we're going to see the integrity of Joshua, how he battles this northern half in a very, very uh, significant way. And my challenge to you is this, that as we take a look at how Joshua fights to enter into rest, that this will put some fight back in you to be able to enter into the rest that God has for you so that you don't give up, so that you don't come up short because of unbelief. Let's stand. We're just going to read the first 15 verses of Joshua 11. And just give respect to God's Word. Joshua 11, 1-15 says, Then it came about when Jabin, king of Hazor, heard of it, that he sent to jo- Jobab, the king of Madon, and to the king of Shimron, and to the king of Ashaph, and to the kings who were of the north and the hill country, and Arabah, and south of Shinareth, in the lowlands and the heights of Dor in the west, and to the Canaanite on the east and the west, and the Amorites and the Hittites and the Pezzarites, Jebusites in the hill country, and the Hivites at the foot of Hermon in the land of Mizpah. And they came out, they and all the armies with them, as many people as the sand that is on the seashore, with very many horses and chariots. So all the kings have agreed to meet, came and encamped together at the waters of Merom to fight against Israel. And then the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid because of them. For tomorrow at this time I will deliver all of them slain before Israel. You shall hamstring their horses, burn their chariots with fire. So Joshua and all the people of war with him came up and then suddenly by the waters of Miriam and attacked them. And the Lord delivered into the hands of Israel so that they defeated them and pursued them as far as the great Sidon and Mesrevah, Maine, and the valley of Mizpah to the east, and then struck them until no survivor was left. And Joshua did to them as the Lord had told them. He hamstrung the horses, burned their chariots. And then Joshua turned back at that time and captured Hazar and struck its king with the sword. For Hazar formerly was the head of all the kingdoms. And they struck every person who was in it with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying them. And there was no one left who breathed. And he burned Hazar with fire. Joshua captured all the cities of these kings, all their kings, and struck them with the edge of the sword and utterly destroyed them, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded. However, Israel did not burn any cities that stood on their mounds, except Hazor alone, which Joshua burned. And all the spoil of these cities and the cattle and the sons of Israel took their plunder, but they struck every man with the edge of the sword until they had destroyed them, and they left no one who breathed. Just as the Lord commanded Moses, his servant, so Moses commanded Joshua, and Joshua did, and he left nothing undone, all that the Lord had commanded Moses. May God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated. So when we look at this, what's the first thing that happens? Joshua is going to attack these kings. Now, we see the backdrop of these kings, these, these enemies, 
that come up, understand, the enemy is not going to stop fighting you. He's not going to sit back and go, oh, they don't want to fight, so we're not going to fight. No. That's not what's going to happen. These northern kings all created a coalition against Joshua. Jabin, the king of Hazor, was heading the, the coalition that there. What did he hear? He heard about all of the kings of the south, the five kings and all of these cities all being destroyed by Joshua. Jericho, Ai, he heard about the Gibeonites. And what he did was he said, we are going to get a coalition and we are going to stand firm on our land. We're going to get everybody together within this. Now, Hazar was a large city. In fact, it was the largest city in the land. 200 acres around. 40,000 people. To give you an idea, Jericho was only 7 acres. This is 40 acres. 40,000 people that are there. Joshua is estimated to have an army of 600,000 that was set up to be able to come out. So Joshua's got a sizable army that's there. But is it the size of the army that's giving Joshua the victory? No, it's the Lord. Why? Because the Lord is fighting for him within this. So Jabin hears about this victory of Israel and even the Transjordanian victory of Sion and Og and all the things that are there and the Gibeonites. Now, I think about this. I thought, okay, well, Jabin, look it. So far, no one has defeated this little podunk group of people. There must be something going on. Everyone that's gone against Israel has lost. Why doesn't he just give up? The Gibeonites did. They were a mighty source of warriors. Why didn't he just give up? Pride. The enemy doesn't want to give up. Satan knows his end, does he not? He knows his outcome. Why is he working so hard to destroy you? Because he hates God. And he hates anything and anyone that belongs to God. And you think about this, this king, what, move, what is moving Jabin and all of these kings and all of these Canaanites against the nation of Israel? Because they are utterly godless. Israel stayed in Egypt until the sin of the Canaanites had come to its full uh, flourishing. The ability to grow. God was judging them. And they had determined that they were not going to be submissive to God at all. One of the truths that we got to understand this. No matter the, the odds, no matter the size of the army, no matter how big the battle seems... Nothing can stand against God. Deuteronomy 20 verse 1 says this. God's words to Moses. When you go out to battle, notice it doesn't say if, but when you go out to battle against your enemies and you see horses and chariots and people, note, more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them. Why? For the Lord your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt is with you. Whatever the battle is, however big it is, however outnumbered you feel, don't be afraid. Why? God's with you. 
God is standing for you, not against you within this. Israel didn't have horses and they didn't have chariots. It was forbidden for them to have them. And as we're going to see, it's an amazing thing. We think about this this northern coalition. It's made up of two nations, four cities, six regions. In fact, I want to give you an idea of what they're looking at in this. In this battle, they're going to be coming up from Gilgal up to this northern area. This is the northern region. Dor is there. Shimron's there. Miriam is, Merom is where the battle is going to be. Hazar is right there. This little lake above the Sea of Galilee is called Lake Hula, or Hule, and it's going to be in this whole northern region. When we go to Israel next March, you're going to see the reason why this is so popular and big is because it is heavily forested. It's a great agricultural land. This is where you want to be. The southern section is mostly desert. This area is fertile. It is a great place to be, and so he's going against them. Josephus, the Jewish historian, wrote about this battle in the scene. And to give you an idea of what they're looking at, there was 300 infantry, according to Josephus, 300,000 in infantry, 10,000 in cavalry, 20,000 in chariots. You say, well, Israel had 600,000. 600,000 in infantry. A chariot back then is like a tank. 20,000 tanks. The cavalry that, that was so large, 10,000 could decimate people. They never have to get off their horses. They would just ride through people. Destroy them within this. And so in Joshua's mind, they're, they're looking at this and they assemble with this battle. Joshua marches for five days. It's a five-day journey. From Gilgal to the north. Five days. And he takes his people there. you imagine the scene when they get up to this scene? To this battlefield that is there? And they're looking at this and they're going, Oh. We've never seen a battle like this. The other thing that's interesting to me in Joshua's battles of taking the land is that each battle progressively got more difficult. You went through Jericho. What is that? A seven-acre city. You walk around it for a week. Right? Doesn't have many people. Goes to Ai. A little bit bigger. Then he has to fight five kings in the south. Does all five kings at one time. But he gets the victory. And get this. In the first set of battles, God was doing miraculous things. What did he do? Caused an earthquake. Earthquake causes the walls to fall down. Then God, in the battle with the kings, sends Joshua out and hailstones are being thrown from heaven. And the day is long and everyone is destroyed because God fights for them within this. And now they're looking at tanks. These chariots. The psalmist would write in Psalm 20, verse 7, Some boast in chariots and some in horses. But we will boast in the name of the Lord our God. Regardless of the battle, there is nothing that could stand before God. Nothing. It will all fall within this. And it's getting that confidence. So Israel and, and their leaders, 
needed to continue to trust in God. And so, as I said earlier, it was mandated that Israel would not gather to themselves horses and chariots. Deuteronomy 17.16 says this, Moreover, he, and again it's a rule for the king, he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor shall he cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses, since the Lord has said to you, you shall never again return to, note, that way. So what's God telling His people? There is a type of warfare that the world will wage and the tools that they will use are worldly ways. But you don't win by fighting the way the world does. You win by having God on your side. You win by trusting in God and letting God fight that battle and and settling in. And when you are overwhelmed by what you see... You need to stop, get on your knees and pray. God, open the eyes of my spiritual understanding so that I might see those that are fighting on my behalf within that. We go on, and, and how did they win? Well, if you look at verses 6-9 through nine of chapter 11, it says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, right? So now he's looking at this, and then God speaks to Joshua. He says, Don't be afraid. Note, because of them, for tomorrow at this time, I will deliver, note, all of them slain before Israel. Joshua and all his army are sitting there and he's looking and he's going, okay, this is God. Hailstones, lightning, fire. Let the earth open up, swallow them all up. God says, no, you're fighting this one. You're fighting this one. But here's my promise. This time tomorrow, they'll all be dead. You imagine the feat that would take place in order to annihilate that size of an army in 24 hours? But God was not going to bring some supernatural event. He wanted Joshua and the people to go and fight. But God would empower them in the battle. He would empower them in the battle. Why? Because as Joshua and the nation of Israel would continue to live in the land of Canaan, there would be many more battles that would have to take place. And God is not going to always show up in a supernatural way to bail you out. But He's going to be your, your help and your strength in the battle as you put forth the work and the effort. This is the largest battle that Joshua has to, say, has to face. And he comes with him he says, Do not be afraid. And it's important to understand, because of them. Don't be afraid because of them. What they look like, what they're saying, don't be afraid because of them. I got this. I will deliver them. Here is your part. After I deliver them, after you have battle, hamstring the horses. In other words, cut their tendons so they can't, they're not usable anymore for battle. Burn the chariots. Why? Because I don't want your people to be tempted to pick up their battle gear and use it. Why? Because then they'll be tempted not to trust in me. They'll be tempted not to trust in me. 
So we eliminate those, those access points to, to trust in the flesh so that we can trust in God. And so as Joshua would, would make this battle, and again, like the other battles, no survivors. No survivors at all within this. Utterly destroy the people. Burn Hazer and keep everything that is there for yourselves as the inheritance. Joshua would capture all the other kings and, and kill them as he would do with the king of Hazer within this. God had promised the land and the blessing. In Deuteronomy, he said this to them. In Deuteronomy 6, 10 to 11, he says, Then it shall come about when the Lord your God brings. Notice it says, when, not if. The Lord your God brings you into the land, which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to you a great and splendid city, which you did not build, houses full of all good things, which you did not fill, and hewn sisters, which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees, which you did not plant, and you'll eat, you are satisfied within this. To be able to be in that place that is there where you, you receive from the Lord. Do you know God has a blessing for you? God has a blessing for you when you fully obey what He calls you to do. And it's not going to make sense. Why? Because God's ways are much higher than our ways. But if we fight the way that God tells us to fight, then we receive the blessing of promise because God gave us that blessing of promise within that rest. And Joshua, the servant of the Lord, obeyed him. This is the word that was given to Moses, and Moses gave it to Joshua. It was this, this link of leadership that was there. And the text tells us that Joshua left nothing undone that God commanded to Moses. He didn't come up short. Now you say, well, Carrie, why did they, why did they have to destroy all the Canaanites? Why did they have to do that? It's because the sin was so bad. The idolatry was so bad in the land of Canaan that if any remnant of that lifestyle or society still continued, it would contaminate the nation of Israel and they would fall back into it. It's kind of like the alcoholic that has sobriety 20 years, 25 years, 30 years, and leaves the bottle sitting in the cupboard. Given the perfect storm, what's that alcoholic going to do? Go right back to it. Going to go right back to it. Why? Because there's access to it. God says, leave no access to sin. Utterly destroy it. You say, well, that was some pretty good scotch. I can't just pour it down the drain. I just can't get rid of it. I've, I've, I've never done anything like that as far as like had that expensive of alcohol or anything like that. But can you imagine... I went out to eat with my family a while back and there we were at this restaurant in Portland that serves up meat, which is a really good restaurant. They go around with the gauchos and they give you all the little chunks of meat of all these different meats and we were sitting in there. I, I can't even remember the name of this place, but it was awesome. 
And you get into this like food buzz that is just amazing. But there's this guy who's pushing this cart around. And there's a jug, it was all alcohol, but there's this like jug of alcohol that's sitting on top of this thing. And I don't know, it was like $100 a glass or $500 a glass or some ridiculous amount. And I thought, who in the world pays that much for that? you imagine taking that thing and just taking it out to the street and pouring it out in the gutter? And people go, oh! We can't leave room. We can't leave the remnant. Joshua, the servant of God, and it's important you understand that, Joshua, the servant of God, left nothing undone that the Lord had commanded. God says that you do it. And you have to fight to do it sometimes. And, and to be able to hear the Word of God and obey it. And that's how Joshua would battle to get into these blessings of inheritance. And completely obey. In verses 16-24 to 24 is a summary. We didn't read through it intentionally because it's a summary passage. In fact, the rest of our, our study is summary. But in 16-24... to 24, just starting with 16, it says, Joshua took all the land in the hill country and the Negev and the land of Goshen, the lowlands of Arabah, and there is a whole list of these lands that he goes to and goes through capturing the kings and putting them to death and waged war, verse 18, for a long time. Verse 19, there was not a city which made peace with the sons of Israel except the Hivites, which deceived him. And verse 24, it was of the Lord to harden their hearts to meet Israel in battle in order that he might utterly destroy them, that they might receive no mercy, but that he might destroy them just as the Lord commanded Moses. And so in the, the, this narrative, he's given him this, this conquest of, of this land that is there, to be in this place. I think it's important to understand, though, in verse 20, we're told that it was the Lord that hardened their hearts. Joshua took the whole land. Why? Because the whole land was the whole promise of God. It was the complete promise of God. And anything less would be disobedient to God. They have to live with the mistake of the, the Hittites, and they do. They will live with them. And we struggle. Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, again... God, why did you destroy them? There is a passage in Ezekiel 18.32 that says this, For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies, declares the Lord God. Therefore, repent and live. That's the heart of God. I've talked with people and they say, Well, God is such a destructive God and He wants to destroy people for no reason. No. God has been crying out from the beginning of man's sin, repent and live. But He's also a righteous God and a just God that has to judge unrepentance and these, these sins that are there. In the same way that God delivered Israel from Pharaoh. If you remember, Moses went to Pharaoh how many times? How many times? Ten times. Ten times. Ten chances. But in the beginning it says, and Pharaoh hardened his heart, and Pharaoh hardened his heart, and Pharaoh hardened his heart, 
And then it transitions and it says, And God hardened Pharaoh's heart. For the Canaanites, we are not told how God was presenting Himself to them, but the very nature cries out the existence of God. And the Canaanites would harden their heart, harden their heart, harden their heart. And then God hardened their hearts for judgment within this. Did God take pleasure in that? No. Now here's the challenge. If you keep hardening your heart against God, and you want to rebel in sin, and you reject the salvation that God has for you, God will give you over to it. You want it, you get it. And when you get it, don't throw a fit and don't blame God. You did it. But God gives every effort to everyone for repentance and to live. Joshua's final cleanup mission within this, here with the, the end of the chapter, 21 all the way down to 23, says that Joshua came at the time and cut off the Anakim from the hill country and from Hebron and Debir and Anib and all of the hill country of Judah in the hill country of Israel, Joshua utterly destroyed them in their cities. There were no Anakim left in the land of the sons of Israel, only in Gaza, in Gath, and in Ashdod. Some remained. And Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had spoken to Moses. And Joshua gave it for an inheritance to Israel according to their divisions by their family tribes. And thus, note, the land had rest from war. In Joshua's final battle plans, he went through and he took the land. It was kind of a cleanup mission. So he had taken the southern cities coalition. He took the northern cities. But there was a section on the coast, on Gaza, where the Anakim were. Do you remember who the Anakim were? The Anakim were the giants. The Anakim were the very reason why the first generation didn't go in. In Numbers chapter 13, verse 33, it says this. There were also Nephtalim, the sons of Anak are part of the Nephtalim. And we became like grasshoppers in our sight, and so we were in their sight. Goliath was from Gath. He was of the, the line of Anakim. He was a giant in the land. The average Jew is probably about five foot five, five foot eight, going against a guy that is nine foot tall. Would that make you feel small? A little bit. And you're just spying out down. You don't know how many more of these guys are here. And they were scared. It's interesting to me, the inclusio, that they were the first ones that caused Israel not to believe that God could give them the land. And they were the last ones taken out. It's interesting. And there were a few left. Why? We're not told why in the text. But we see Goliath showing up later with David. And the whole line wasn't wiped out. So what did it look like when all of these things were all put together? If I can have that uh, division map. So within this, they had everything from Mount Hermon up to the north. They had all of this. We're going to cover it in a minute. This is called the Transjordanian tribes. This is called the Cisjordanian tribes that are all in here. Gaza and Gath in this area is down here in the south. This is the area of Judah. So when they had the fight, they went from here north, and this was the northern coalition. This was the southern coalition within this. As I understand it, this should be Israel's borders. 
This should be Israel's border. It's not today, but it should be. This is the land that was given to them, the promised land that was there. The most important thing is, is that at the end of 11, it says, and the land rested from war. But how did they get there? They had to fight. Do not be tired in the battle. Don't be tired from the battle. Fight until the battle's over. And you'll know when it's over because God will say that it's over within that. The last thing that I want to bring up in chapter 12, we're not going to read all the way through chapter 12. You can read on your own. But chapter 12 is an appendix. The book of Joshua is divided in two parts. And chapter 12 is the appendix of the conquest. And then chapter 13 starts with the divisions of the land that's within this area. But, what, but it's divided. chapter 12 is divided into two sections. The first section, verses 1 through 6, is basically a division of the land and it was the Transjordanian division. If Jason, if I can get that map back up. It is this area that is right here. Moses led all of the battles in this area of the land. And if you remember, it was Manasseh, half of the tribe of Manasseh, Gad and Reuben, that all decided this was good enough for us. We're not going to enter in, but we're going to commit to fight. This area, in verses 1 through 6 of chapter 12, is all described geographically. Why is that important? So that everybody of the nation of Israel moving forward knows what belongs to whom? To the land. This area is called the Cisjordanian area. This area was battled by Joshua. Moses was not allowed to go into the land on Mount Nebo, he could see it, but he wasn't allowed to go in. Nine and a half of the tribes would go in and take the land, but all 12 tribes would fight. Chapter 12 is a rehearsal of all of the battles that are there and the victories that are within that land. You can read through that on your, on your own if you want to and study the cities and look at where the maps are. But understand this. It is documented in Scripture and historical documents of what belongs to Israel, and it should always belong to Israel within that, within that land. The other thing that I think is important to document is it's the victories of Israel. When you look back on your life, what is going to encourage you in the battle? What's going to keep you from becoming battle fatigued? Look at all the previous battles and how God showed up and gave you victory. And if God was faithful in the past, will He be faithful in the future? Absolutely. Because He cannot not be faithful. He cannot not keep His Word. And He cannot not keep His promises. And when you become battle fatigued, understand the timeline. This land was promised to Abraham a long, long time ago. And sometimes it takes a long time for God's promises to come to pass. Don't give up short. Don't quit. Within this, we see that this little stretch of land that is 150 miles long and 50 miles wide becomes the center of all of the attention, both spiritually and in humanity, for even in the end days. It's amazing how a little piece of like that land can disturb so many. 
Because it's God's promise, and God's promises never fail. So fight. Battle to enter into the rest and the promise that God has for you. And then you'll hear, well done. Relentlessly attack the enemy. Completely obey everything that God's given you. And when you win, go back and count the blessing and tell God thank you. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the blessings of rest. Lord, I know the stories of many people that are in this room and those that are watching online. And I know those that are battle-fatigued and battle-weary. God, I would ask that You would strengthen their resolve. That they would see that there is a rest that is promised for them. And that they will win if they do not quit. God, You may show up in, in supernatural ways to support the battle. Or You may just Show up and give a promise and fulfill that promise in the battle. In either way, the battle belongs to you and we trust in you. Lord, I know that there are some here that maybe don't have that trust in or that are struggling. They believe, but they struggle and they say, Lord, help my unbelief. I pray, God, that for those that are in that camp, that they would see your mighty hand and feel your presence and your comfort and your power. We thank you for all of this. In Jesus' name, amen. Blessed assurance Jesus is mine He's been my fourth man in the fire time after This is my story, and 
God, we thank You that You are our rock and our salvation. You never fail. Circumstances never move You. The battle plan has been set. The victory has been won. You call us to walk into battle and to fight for that rest that You've afforded to us by fighting the way that You've called us to fight in a manner that brings honor to You. Lord, there's so many things that happen in this world and in our lives on a daily basis. When the enemy confronts us and seems overwhelming, may we pause and listen for Your voice to lead us on until that day we hear Your voice calling us home. But till then, may we fight the good fight. We praise You and we thank You for this morning in Your Word. We go out today. May everything we say and do make You smile. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. And praise Jesus. Have a blessed week. Thanks for joining us in the study of God's Word with Pastor Kerry Wacker. We'd love to have you join us in person for worship each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. We also meet Wednesday nights at 6.30 p.m. Warren Community Fellowship is located at 56523 Columbia River Highway in Warren, Oregon, between Scappoose and St. Helens. For more information about Warren Community Fellowship or about WCF Ministries, call us at 503-397-4387. And don't forget to like us on Facebook.